for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Yeah, cool. So we are continuing our series on Acts 3 today, and we are going to be looking at the story of Peter and John who encounter a beggar at the gate called Beautiful. Um, And it is the first miracle that is recorded that the apostles do. So we find in Acts 2, it talks about that they performed miracles and signs and wonders, but we don't read any of those accounts. This is the first account that we read of any of the miracles that these apostles performed. Um, And it's a really interesting account, and we'll get into it a little bit later on. But I think before we get there, if I can just remind you of where we were last week... Uh, when my dad spoke to you about Acts 2, because I think it helps give a little bit of context as to how come this event took place, that they were uh, able to kind of step out in faith in the way that they did and see this, because obviously the story goes that this man who can't walk ends up walking, you'll find that out later on, but you know, how do they get to that point? Well, they get to that point because of everything that's happened preceding it. So we have Acts 1, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, he, he comes and he pours out his presence into the lives of these new believers. And then in Acts 2... It talks about, and I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago when we had the baptism. So, so Peter gets up and responds to what happens. He responds to Pentecost and he says to the people gathered, you crucified Jesus, so what are you going to do about it, basically, is what he says. And they all repent and they believe and they get baptised. And it says that 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Wow, be cool, wouldn't it? Imagine that in one day. Here. But anyway, so, they, so the, the, this fledgling group of, of Christians, they weren't even called Christians, they were still Jewish but this fledgling, fledgling group of, of, of new believers in Jesus as the Messiah, you better answer that, Richard. <laughs> this fledgling group of new believers uh, were, were, um, were meeting together regularly, it says. It says that they, were, they, they lived this lifestyle that, that is an amazing kind of lifestyle. And, and to be honest with you, the, the lifestyle that they, they lead in Acts 2, so that you can read about it, Acts 2, 42 to 47, the lifestyle that they lead as a community is what encouraged Terry Virgo to start New Frontiers as a movement. It's what encouraged uh, people like Arthur Wallace and Gerald Coates and Bryn Jones and others to actually start the charismatic renewal movement in the 60s. That's what started it off in their hearts. They saw this community in Acts and they compared it to the communities of churches that they were in at the time. They said, this isn't our experience of Christianity. We want this experience, the experience of Acts Christianity. We want to see the church moving this way. We want to see the church be like this. And that's what led them to say, well, we need new wines for new wineskins, new, new, new wineskins for new wine. Now, actually, as, as the charismatic renewal movement started in the 60s, which is what this church is, the, 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 you know, this is the, you know, like the grandchild of, of that movement, really. This church community is founded on those foundations. And the foundations that it's founded on is wanting to have a New Testament church, a church that is like the church in Acts. We want our church to be like this church. And so what did this church do? Well, it says, Acts 42 to 47, if I could bullet point these things, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to fellowship. They devoted themselves not just to teaching, but to one another. You know, that's a really cool thing, isn't it? To say, I'm devoted to you as a friend. I'm devoted to you as a friend. What a nice thing. They devoted themselves to one another. They devoted themselves to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. So that means that they kept praying and praying and praying. They devoted themselves to regularly breaking bread. So they were devoted to remembering Jesus and what Jesus had done. So they, were, they fixed their life around Christ, that Jesus and his sacrifice 
And his resurrection was at the very centre of everything they did. They devoted themselves to breaking bread. And they devoted themselves to outrageous generosity. They were giving wherever somebody had need. They gave into it. Living a lifestyle like that. So that church living that lifestyle, a lifestyle of devotion, it is no wonder to me what happened next. It's no wonder to me that the church grew exponentially. It's no wonder to me that every day God added to the number of people being saved. Because that's what it says. And God added daily to the number that were being saved. It's no wonder that that happens. Because actually they were living lifestyles of devotion to God. You see, throughout history, you see God moves when people are devoted to him. So when people get devoted about God, when people say, do you know what? I'm just going to, you know, everything else is rubbish compared to Jesus. I'm just going to live for him. I'm going to devote myself to prayer. I'm going to devote myself to seeking God for my generation, seeking God for my family, for my community. I'm going to step in in prayer. I'm going to keep stepping out. And when people do that, that's when revivals happen. You know, when people step up, and take responsibility, and take the authority that they've been given in Jesus, that's when revivals take place. You see it, Hebridean revival, Welsh revival, you've got the Azusa Street revival. All of these different things happen when people stepped up in prayer. And, 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 and so, look, you know, these things are, are kind of, they're linked together, and it's, it's just kind of an odd, odd thing, really. But God steps in when we step up. So when we take responsibility, then God steps in. It's a really interesting thing, and you can see it throughout the Bible. Let me just give you two examples. So 2 Chronicles 7.14, God says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So there's a correlation between the people doing something and then God stepping into the situation. If my people pray, God says, if you seek me, then I will do. Again, Ezekiel 22.30 It says this, and I saw a man from among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. I mean, this is a this is an Old Testament prophecy um, that's actually negative. It's God saying, look, unless you actually unless you change, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I need to sort this out. I need to come and bring judgment. Unless you change, I'm gonna do this. We don't we wouldn't believe that prophecy now is like that. We we believe that prophecy. Uh, in a New Testament context, is, is, is positive. But look, in this context, God is saying this. He's saying, look, actually, I'm looking for people who are prepared to stand in the gap. I'm looking for people who are prepared to get involved in prayer, get involved in seeking my name, get involved in worship. I'm looking for that people. And, 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 and so God steps in when we step up. God steps in when we step up. You see, why, why does he do that? Why does he only get involved in that way? How, how is it like that? Well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when a, a child's learning to walk, right? So the parent doesn't get involved all the time in that child learning to walk. They, they take a step back and they wait for the child to get up and walk themselves. God is allowing you to get to that point where you go, no, I'm going to seek God. I'm going I'm to turn my face to him. God allows us to do that. And he watches us as we fall and we get back up again because he's training us. And he's training us not just for now, but for an eternal future as the church. He's training us for an eternal future, reigning and ruling with Christ. It says, you know, Paul Paul says, you know, one day we will judge angels. God's training us for righteous righteous acts in the new heavens and the new earth. God is training us now. And, and, And so we have authority in the name of Jesus. And he's encouraging us to step up in obedience, to step up in devotion, to step up in taking authority and praying over situations around us. 
So rather than going, oh, why is this happening to me, God? Or, or you know, I feel like this. It's actually, no, step up. No, I'm going to pray, Lord Jesus, come and break into this situation. I'm going to pray, Lord Jesus, I just need your love right now. I'm going to take authority over it. He wants us to take authority. You see, this early group of disciples were hungry for God. They really had stepped up. They were devoted. Devoted. That's, that's the, the key phrase in Acts 2. They were devoted to God. And the result of that devotion was exponential growth, exponential gospel outbreak. They saw God move when they were devoted. You see, when we begin living in a a life of devotion to God and his ways, when we begin to live a lifestyle where we hunger and thirst for righteousness, when we we begin to live in that way, we start to see the world with God's eyes and not our own. We start to have a kingdom mindset and we start to see what matters to God, what matters to him, what matters to his heart. We, we, we become devoted to Jesus when we become devoted to generosity, when we become devoted to the word, devoted to one another, we get that kingdom mindset. And it's our heart as a leadership team that as we go through Acts, we all grow in devotion. So no matter what point you're out on your spiritual journey, because we're all at different points on our spiritual journey. Some of you are a lot more like Jesus than I will ever be probably. We're all at a different point on our spiritual journey. But the, the heart behind this series is that as we go through it, we all grow a little bit in our devotion to Jesus. We all recognise that actually... To, to, to be an Acts-style Christian is about being devoted to God, devoted to his spirit, devoted to the word, devoted to one another, and, and stepping out in faith. You see, we want us to be a church that is like the Acts church. So what does this being devoted kingdom mind style, mindset lifestyle look like? Well, it, it re- results in the sort of action we get in Acts 3. So our, our reading today. And what we, we find here is Peter and John... They go to the temple for their daily prayers. You see, as I said earlier on, these these fledgling believers weren't even called Christians until later on in Acts. They were just Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So Peter and John go to the temple in Jerusalem to go and pray because that's what they would have done every day. And they'd done it thousands of days before. They'd gone to pray to to God. So they'd gone there to the temple. Um, And every day they would have gone to the temple and they'd have seen exactly the same thing. There was a, a beggar outside a gate called Beautiful, near the temple. And he was there, and he was begging for money. It's like every day now, I, so I, I walk down to the Riverside Centre to, to go to work, and I encounter the same people every day. And I realise now that I'm encountering the same people every single morning I walk, you know, and, and every single afternoon. My, 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 times, my timings are correlated with them. And this would have been the same for Peter and John. They would have seen this beggar before. No doubt, they would have seen him there before. But it's like what happens here is this. Actually, Peter and John have been so impacted by the power of the Spirit in Acts 1 and, and, and then have continued to deepen their devotion in prayer that then they step out and take action in a situation they would have seen hundreds of times before. See, they walk past this man a hundred times before, but it's now that they take action. It's now that they step out in faith. So let's just read this together and I'm going to pull some things out of it for you. So Acts 3. Acts 3 verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful, to ask for alms for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John go about, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Receiving alms is begging for money, right? So receiving almsgiving was a, a Jewish custom. So you would give your tithe into the temple and you would uh, arms, you'd give your arms out you know, as extra. So your tithe was, I'm going to give my 10%, my 20%, my 25%, in, you know, depending on what you, you think the Jews actually gave in terms of their tithe to God. I'll give that money to God. But then almsgiving, extra, it was extra. It was extra. 
It was out of their pocket. They were giving out of their pocket. Okay, and there's something for some of us there in terms of our giving maybe as well, that actually when we give our tithe, it's not like we give 8% to the church and we hold 10%, sorry, 2% to give away to other charities. That would be almsgiving in a Jewish context. So, you know, Jews would be giving above and beyond the 10% if they were giving elsewhere, not holding a little bit back to give out. So almsgiving. So this, this man is, is asking to receive alms. And, he, and it says he, Peter directed his gaze at him. Imagine, he's walking by him a hundred times before, but on this day, Peter looks at him. And as did John. And they said, look at us. So, I mean, the guy looks at them because he thinks he's going to get some cash. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get some money. So he looks at them and he fixed his attention on him. This is what it says, verse 5. Expecting to receive something from them. Money, nothing else. He's not expecting anything else to happen. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognised him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate in the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's like, imagine you walk by the same disabled person in Ashford Town Centre every single day and then one day you see them jumping up and running around because Jesus has healed them, you'd be pretty gobsmacked because you'd seen the impact of their disability on their life and then you'd have seen what Jesus had done to them and you'd be like, that is amazing. These people had seen this man time and time again and then they saw him walking around. It was an incredible miracle. So Peter then does what he does in Acts 2. He comes to give a little preach off the back of it. And he says this, verse 11. So we've got this man who's just been healed. He's clinging to Peter and John, it says. And all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. I mean, he doesn't really mince his words here, does he? To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, talking about the crucifixion. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. So this miracle happens, and then we get this preach. It's almost like an identical kind of pattern to what happens in Acts 1 with Pentecost, and then the preach off the back of it. And exactly the same sort of thing happens. Peter uses this as, a, as, as a, a, an example of speaking to the people who had, who had been there. He's saying to them, look, you were the people standing in the crowd, shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then he's saying, look, the power of this man's name, who you crucified, has made this man well. I mean, that's incredible when you think about it in that context. Imagine being one of those people. So this is the first miracle we read about in the book of Acts. And as I've opened with, it's something that's come about because of the disciples' devotion and lifestyle changes and, and, and the Holy Spirit impacting them. And it'd be really easy for me for us just to go this morning, hey, this is just about us all doing miracles. Let's all just go and do more miracles. 
Um, and, you know, we could kind of talk about that a little bit. But I don't really think that that's the right thing to draw from this. Actually, I think this is about how we can step out in faith. How we can step out in faith. And how we can have confidence to step out in faith. Because, you know, actually, it'd be really easy for me to talk about going and doing miracles. But that's just daunting. And for most of us, that's just not where our faith is at right now. You know, it's really easy for us to come and worship God together on a Sunday morning because none of your co-workers are here. None of your neighbours are here. Maybe people don't even know you go to church. So it's kind of easy when you come to church because nobody knows that you do it. But it's much more difficult to step out in faith because it actually requires, it requires faith. It requires boldness. It requires confidence. So how can we be like that? How can we maybe step out in faith to the world, world around us? Well, I think, first of all, if you're going to live that kind of lifestyle... You need to do what the Acts 2.42-47 to church did. We need to grow in our devotion to the word. We need to keep being filled with the spirit, Ephesians 5.18. We need to um, keep loving one another. We need to devote ourselves to prayer, to breaking bread. Do you break bread at home? There's a thing for you. Do you break bread as a family at home? Do you have people over from church and break bread with them? Are you devoted to a lifestyle that recognises and remembers Jesus' death for you? Or do you just wait for when we do it at church? There's no reason why you can't do it in other contexts as the family of God? Are you devoted to outrageous generosity as well? So, you know, devote yourselves to those things first and foremost. Now, as you do, actually, you'll get more and more, God will give you more and more faith and confidence to start stepping out for him. So how do we take that daunting hurdle, though, of, of stepping out? Well, I think Peter demonstrates that a little bit to us. So if we were to step up in, in, our, in our attitude of devotion to God, then how do we then step out? Well, Peter demonstrates that. So Peter, first of all, let me just give you these things. Peter knew who he was. So how does he demonstrate this kind of stepping out in faith lifestyle? He knew who he was. He knew who he was. He knew his identity in Jesus. He knew exactly who he is. There's this confidence in him. Silver and gold I don't not have, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He knows who he is in Jesus. He's got confidence. And that's been gained by being devoted to God, but also because he knows who he is in Jesus. You see, he says this, he writes this later on in, in, one of his, in one of his letters. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So when Peter writes that later on in time, I sort of like to think that actually he's reflecting on some of his own experiences. He knew who he was. He knew that he was chosen, that he was called, that he belonged to Jesus, that he was God's special possession. That's such a cool phrase. You're God's special possession. Maybe you don't feel like you're close to God this morning. You're God's special possession. Okay, but he knew, Peter knew he was God's special possession. And he knew that he had a mandate, that, that, that he, had, he had to go and proclaim the excellencies that called him out of darkness into light. He had that mandate on his life. He was confident in who he was in Jesus. You see, you're not a stranger to God. You're not a stranger to God. You might feel like it, but he calls you his son and his daughter if you're in Christ. You carry Jesus' name with you. Maybe you don't remember that sometimes, but you carry his name with you. When you go into your workplace, you carry the name of Jesus with you. It's like marked on you permanently, forever. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. That's what we learn in this, in this story. There's power in the name of Jesus. See, Peter explaining his action says to the people, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at, us, this, uh, uh, stare at us as though our own power or piety made him walk? He's saying, look, you look at us like we did this, that we healed him, that it was my power that made him walk, that it was my own piety, my own kind of righteous lifestyle that made him walk. 
He said, look, it wasn't our power at all, but it's the power that comes from Jesus' name. And the Greek word for power in the New Testament, you, you get two different occurrences of it, like most of the time, is either dunamis or exousia. And dunamis is the, is the, 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 the Acts 1 verse 8 type power. So Jesus says, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit falls on you. Dunamis power is where we get the word dynamite from. Yeah? You will receive dynamite power when the Holy Spirit falls on you. That's what, that's what is prophesied at Pentecost. And so when Peter writes, says it here, by our own power, he's, he uses the word dunamis. So by our own kind of dynamite power, we made this man walk. It was by our own supernatural power we made him, made him walk. And so that, that's a really important uh, thing to know, that when we talk about power in that way, we're talking about explosive power, a power that is kind of like, you know, power, miraculous power. You know, dyna, when dynamite goes, you go, whoa, big explosion, that kind of power. But there's another word for, for, for power in, in the New Testament. As I said, it's exousia, which is, which is authority. It gets rendered most in the, in, in the NIV as authority. So it talks about under whose authority I came. That, that is, again, because you could say under whose power I came. That's, that's exousia. That's, that's the authority that comes from Jesus. And see, Peter didn't just know God's power. Jesus, Peter knew that he was under the power as in the authority of Jesus. He knew the authority of Jesus on his life as well. So he knew the explosive, dynamic power of the Spirit to come and change situations, but he also knew that he was working under the authority, the power of Christ. He knew who he was in Jesus. He was confident that he was working under the authority of the one who had sent him. You see, he was confident in who he was. Secondly, well, he was confident in his gifting as well. He was confident in his gifting. He had been trained. He had it modelled to him. He had it practised. It's interesting, if you wanted to go away and do a little comparative study, you could do this off the back of what I've said this morning, if you like studying the Bible, which I hope that you do or that you're growing in. But... We have, uh, we have an account in Luke 5 of a man being lowered through Jesus' roof and being healed. Do you remember that story? So, so there's a man on a mat. He's, he's lame. He can't walk. And he, they, it says they make a hole through the roof and they lower him down into Jesus' front room. And, and Jesus heals him. He, he, first he forgives his sin and then he heals him. Um, and, 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 and if you compare that story to this story, you'll find that there are a lot of similarities in the terminology that Jesus uses but also in the, just the whole kind of cadence of the story. You will see that actually that there is these similarities. Why are there those similarities? Peter's learned how to do this. He watched Jesus do that. He's learned how to do it. He's grown in his understanding of how to do it, of how to actually step out in that authority. He's watched somebody do it. And, and look, we haven't got time to, to go through that study now, but you will find that if you look at those two things, that's the conclusion that you will draw that actually he became confident in stepping out in faith because he had learnt it from somebody else. You see, if you want to step out in a specific gift that you feel that you've been given, for example, it might be praying for the sick, or it might be praying for people publicly, or it might be just witnessing, or it might be a word of knowledge, it might be prophesying on a Sunday morning. Why not find somebody who you know is just maybe a little bit further along in that journey than you are and ask them to show you how they do it and how they go about it and when they feel like they're hearing God's voice and when they're not. You know, so... Actually, how could you grow in the gift that you've been given? One way is to get alongside somebody who you know is further along in that than you are. Find somebody. Find a mentor. You see, Peter stepped out and put into practice what he, um, he had learned from, from Jesus. Thirdly, well, Peter was also filled with that dunamis power, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Peter had experienced the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit filling him at Pentecost, and he knew the power of the Spirit in his life. He was also confident in the power of God to come and meet other people as well. So it wasn't just that he believed it was for him. He was confident that wherever he went, that the Holy Spirit would come and touch other people. You see, when the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, that's not the only time that the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes anybody in his presence, in Acts. It happens all the way through Acts. After that point, when the Holy Spirit first turns up and meets those disciples, whenever they pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill somebody, the Holy Spirit just comes and turns up. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. You see the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. And, and we need to keep being filled with the Spirit. I said, I said that verse earlier, and I, I say it a lot because it's an important one to remind you of. Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And as Richard helpfully said uh, at the meeting on Wednesday night, that's not just an individual thing, but for us as a community, it's, it's, it's written to a community that we should keep being filled with the Spirit together as a group. We need to keep inviting the Holy Spirit's presence into our lives as a community and ask him to change us. Four, well, okay, well, how else did Peter step out? Well, he walked in faith. When somebody is healed or set free or touched by God, there is always faith at work. There's always faith at work. And Peter attributed the miracle to faith. You see it in verse 16. He said, and in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter is able to step out in faith and declare this healing because he's got absolute faith in Jesus, faith in the name of Jesus, faith that the name of Jesus can save, heal and set free. Peter had faith. And you'll find faith in every miracle. You see, it's either the faith of the person praying, like here with Peter, the faith of the one in need of the healing. So you have uh, in, in Mark 5, you've got the woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. She goes and she touches Jesus. Jesus says, who did it? Yeah, she had faith that Jesus was going to heal her. So it's either the person praying, the person receiving, or it can be somebody else. Mark 5, you get the other story, Jairus and his daughter. He's got the faith on behalf of his daughter. He goes to Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not about to enter in some dodgy doctrine that says that it's, it's only faith that heals you. It's Jesus that heals you. Okay, but we need to have faith in Jesus. We need to believe in Jesus. We need to have faith in his power in our lives. We need to keep trusting in him, keep coming to him. And look, I don't know why Jesus doesn't heal everybody, but he doesn't, because God knows better than I do. But I do know that the more we have faith and the more we step out, the more we will see people healed. And if we don't pray, we'll never see anybody healed. So we need to have faith to step out, to ask people for people to be healed, but also stepping out in faith in other ways as well. Number five, Peter stepped out finally to further advance the gospel. He saw an opportunity. This was an opportunity for him to step out and advance the gospel. See, miracles, signs and wonders should always point to the good news that Jesus is alive. That's what he does, verse 11 to 15. The miracle is a sign pointing to Jesus. We are never going to chase miracles as a church for miracles' sake. We want to see signs and wonders that demonstrate what Jesus has done. Okay? We're not about chasing miracles for miracles' sake. I'd love to see miracles in the church that they might lead people to Jesus, that they might lead people to the greatest miracle of all, that, they, that they, they can experience salvation from death and from sin. So we, miracles point to Jesus. They are signs that point to Jesus. And so we need to um, actually uh, have faith that God wants to advance the gospel for us as well. And that actually through the situations we face daily, that we could advance the gospel in our own lives. So where does that leave you? Well, Look, they're up on the, on, on the screen already, but you need to know who you are in Christ, that you work under Christ, exousia, power of authority, 
that, you, that actually if you want to grow in spiritual gifts, you need to practice and develop them. There's no good just waiting for God to do something. Actually, you need to step out and say, actually, how am I going to grow in this gift that, give, that God's given me? We need to pray for daily dunamis power. We need to pray for that power daily, the power of the Spirit. We need to have faith that Jesus can heal, that Jesus can set free, that Jesus will be in that conversation when you step out in faith at work and you say, I'm a Christian. You know, for, I, I said this last week. When, I, it's one of my biggest regrets, actually. Um, when I, I, I started at university, this was, I mean, gosh, I mean, this is a long time ago now, but I'm old now. Well, I feel old. 36. So it was about 17 years ago, right? I, I, I started off at university in London. And my life was in a mess. I was a Christian, but my life was in a real mess. Really rubbish relationship with somebody who I didn't treat very well. Um, I was, my life was in a mess. And I didn't dare tell anybody that I was a Christian. Because I thought I'd give a bad name to Jesus if I told them that I was a Christian. Because my lifestyle didn't seem to be living up with what I believed. And I thought, well, I'll just sort myself out and then I'll tell them. But then it, it went on so long that I never told them. And it was only my final year, after being there for three years, I'd become friends with these people that I dared tell them that I was a Christian. And they were like, why didn't you tell us this earlier on? That in some ways, that some of them felt a little bit betrayed because I hadn't felt that I could, tr- I could be honest with them about it. But secondly, it was like, I can't believe you've not told me this. There was all something a bit weird about you. <laughs> you know, I can't believe you've not said this. And it was a delight and a joy, actually, that a couple of them then came to my wedding a couple of years later. And they saw, you know, firsthand what we believe. And, you know, so actually, just encouragement to you. And, and I learned my lesson then. In every workplace I've gone into since, I've always made sure that people know that I'm a Christian quite soon on. Because there's something about that as well that, that steps me into gear and makes me then step out in faith. And the amount of conversations that I then have had off the back of that with people, both really hard sometimes and really positive. And just Friday night, Claire got into a conversation with a lady from her work over text message. And I mean, we ended up in this theological debate for about two hours over text message. Just because Claire said, well, what do you believe then? You know, actually, have faith to step out and say, look, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. You know, for you, maybe that's the takeaway from today. It's nothing else but that. You need to just go and say, I'm a Christian. So we need to have opportunity, we need to pray for opportunities. Look, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, as we close. Jesus says this, Neither do people lamp a light and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying nobody goes into a room that's dark at night time with the lights off, turns a light on, and then covers it over with something. He's like, that is stupid. This is hyperbole, yeah? That's a stupid thing to do. You don't go into a dark room, turn a light on, and cover it over with something. What a silly thing to do, Jesus says. In the same way, you have been given the light of the world in you. Jesus is living in you. His presence is living in you. And you carry that light into the darkness of Ashford around you. You carry that light into your workplace. Don't hide your light away from people. Don't hide your faith away from people, thinking that actually maybe one day they'll just discover it. Because they're not going to discover it if you've you've hidden it with something. Be bold enough to actually drop your guard and say, look, I believe in Jesus. Because the light of the world is is, is living through you. And he, he, he can meet people through you. And you carry the kingdom to the people around you. And it's only when we step out in faith and we say, I'm a Christian. You know, I believe in Jesus. Because otherwise, all the nice things you do for people will just be seen as altruism. Oh, she's really nice. She makes me a tea every day. It's not, oh, she's really nice. She makes me a tea. And, and, and I know why she makes me a tea every day, because she loves Jesus. You know, there's a big difference there.
There's a big difference. You see, actually, Jesus is calling us to live a life where we are out and out for him, where we, we step out in faith every day and where people just know that we're Christians because we're not afraid of saying so, that we're, we're not frightened to step out and say, I believe in Jesus. You see, Peter and John were walking into a Jewish temple, but they were quite happy to go, no, Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to step out in faith. Jesus is saying, don't hide your faith away. That would be stupid. Don't hide your faith. Don't hide your faith. Step up and seek God. Maybe for you at the moment in your life, it's just about you stepping up and seeking God in your life. Maybe you're not reading the Bible. Maybe you're not praying. Maybe you're not even bothering coming to church that regularly. Maybe for you, what I've been saying today is doing the Acts 2, 42 to 47 thing of just devoting yourself to God. Step up and seek God. Pray for his spirit. Shake off the spiritual lethargy. You know, have you heard that Taylor Swift song, Shake It Off? Yeah? Shake it off. Get rid of the, t- the spiritual lethargy. Get rid of it. Say, no, I'm not having that in my life. I'm not going to watch that next Netflix series. I'm going to pray. Yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm going to get up early to pray. I'm going to seek God. And it does that when you actually take a step forward. Step up and seek God. Take responsibility in prayer before God. You have been given authority and power in the name of Jesus. So rather than going, oh, man, it's just really difficult what they're going for at the moment, step up in prayer for them. You know, be that person who's praying for your neighbour. Be that person who's praying for your friend. Be that person who's there before the Father for that family member who's going through a crisis. Be there. Step up in prayer. Step up. Step up if you want more of the Spirit. Don't just stand there and wait for the Holy Spirit to come and do something. Ask him to come and fill you. You know, don't just kind of lock yourself in a room somewhere. Terry Virgo talks about this when he talks about... um, uh, he was, when he was filled with the Spirit, he said he, he, he went to Pentecostal church where they, they did this thing about waiting, tarrying for God, and they would just wait in a room for the Holy Spirit to come and fill them, and, and, and nothing ever happened. And it was only when he asked somebody to come and lay hands on him that the Holy Spirit came. He stepped out in faith. He said, I need to receive the Holy Spirit. Would you, would you pray for me? And it's actually it's a sense in which we need to actually do something active. We can't just wait. We need to step out and ask for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. Don't hide your faith this week. Step out. So offer to pray for that person who you walk by every day. Bring that prophetic word on a Sunday morning. Maybe you've got a prophetic word in your heart and you want to come and bring it, but you're just too scared to do it. Come and bring it. We're not going to judge you. If it's total nonsense, we'll just forget about it and move on. That's absolutely fine. But you know what, actually? It's down to us to weigh it after you've brought it. Don't try and weigh it yourself. Bring it. and you know, Bring it to myself, Richard, James, one of the other leaders at the front first, and we'll help you to whether or not to bring it or not. But step out in faith. If God's given you a gift, try and exercise it. Try and use it. Tell that friend about your faith. Give that money you've been holding on to. You know, actually, that's a huge block sometimes in our faith. So, look, God is calling us to do two things. He's calling us to step up to be devoted to him, and he's calling us to step out. And, you know, as we do that, do you know what happens? God steps in. God steps in. God comes and changes situations. God comes in and breaks in with his power. God comes in and brings healing. God comes in and brings life change. It's only as we step up and seek him and step out in faith that God then comes in and breaks in. Amen? Let's just stand together. I'll pray for you. Can we have the band back? Can we have one more song? Is that all right? I've made the most of the fact that I've not had to move this morning over to the riverside, so I've gone on a bit, but... Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, Lord, we, we, we just, we, we long, I long for you to, to, just, to, to change my life. I, w- I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I, I want to know, know you, Jesus. I want to know your spirit on my life more and more. I want to know confidence that comes from knowing you. Confidence that comes from knowing your authority. 
Lord Jesus, I don't believe that what happened in Acts is just for the apostles, but it's for us as well. Lord, you, you, you want us to be your witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, you want us to be your witnesses, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, come and fill us with the dunamis power of God. Come and fill us for the week ahead. Holy Spirit, that we might encounter you afresh, even right now, Lord, that you would come and move in our hearts and our lives, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to know you more. Lord Jesus, we want to know you more because, Lord Jesus, we want to see the world changed. Lord, we want to see the world changed. Lord, we want to see those broken situations we face every day, those beggars that we walk by on the street, those people, those family members who are living in sin and shame and sorrow and sickness and, 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 and defeat. Lord, we want to see them broken free, Lord. We want to see the captive set free amongst us. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord God, for us that you might fill us with your power, that we might have the boldness and confidence to step out in faith that we might have the boldness and authority to step out and say, no, no more, no more, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. Lord Jesus, I pray for each one of us that we might know you more right now. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, just put out your hands to him. As I said, it's not just about waiting, it's about doing. So actually just ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. If you want the Holy Spirit's power for this week, maybe you've got a big week coming up. Ask the Holy Spirit, come and fill me, Holy Spirit. Come and fill me, Holy Spirit. Come and fill me, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I need your presence in my life. Holy Spirit, I need you. Come and fill me. Jabba.